0: I kind of wanted to briefly share upon, and we're gonna take communion at the end together as a family. I shouldn't be too long today. I'm thinking maybe like four and a half hours should suffice, 30 pages. All the young people are like, oh no. I'm just playing. I can't even go that long. I mean, if I, could, I could if I really wanted to. But. but today I wanted to talk about seven times Jesus bled. You see, it's very important that we understand the power in the blood. You see, the blood is just it's not a common thing. It's just not something that we, we talk about. It, it's not something that we decree. Oh, we decree, I plead the blood of Jesus. It is powerful. And as believers, we must understand how powerful it is. We must understand as believers what Jesus did on the cross. So many times we take it as common. What do you mean? We take it as common? Easy. We take what Jesus did—Christ crucified on the cross—common by the way we live. We know how to live, but we act like you know. We act like you know. We 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 don't know how to live. Oh, and I'll just ask Jesus for forgiveness. You go mess up, and then you go ask forgiveness. And I'm not talking about you messed up by accident. You know, you're you're hammering something, and you, and and you, you you. hammer hit, misses the nail, and you hit your thumb, and, you know, you're like, oh, fraggle rock? (laughs) I'm not talking about, you know, an accident or something where you, I'm talking about something where you're like, you wake up, and you know what you're doing is wrong, but you continue to do it because you know, you know what, on Sunday, I'll just ask for forgiveness. That's taking what Jesus did on the cross and making it common. I'm not everybody's cup of tea, so that's all right. I have fun and I love Jesus, but I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Seven times Jesus bled. You see, there's two aspects in this life. You had the life taker and the life giver. Satan is the thief. The Bible says in John ten ten that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then part B of that, It says, Jesus, he says, I am the abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, me, Jesus, has come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, I don't know about you, but there's so much that there's so many of us that don't live abundantly. Now, I'm not going to be talking about a prosperity gospel or anything like that. I'm talking about abundant living, where you, you are, you are uh, abundant in spirit. You are abundant in health. You are abundant in finances, whatever that may be. It may look like a millionaire. It may just mean that you have your needs met. Well, I, I don't want to live to pay. Well, I live paycheck to paycheck, but guess what? My car blew up one day. Literally, we're like driving to a doctor's appointment, la, 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 having a great old day. This is a great day. Put 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 poof. And I pull in and I'm like, oh man, what's going on? I'm like turning the key. I'm just hearing thunk, thunk. So I take it to the shop and the, and the, the shop was like, uh, hey, Josh, I um, just want to tell you, your car is dead. I said, what? He said, You're in your, not your timing belt, but your timing chain is broke and your engine is shot you just might as well get a new car and I'm like well I don't got money to get a new car I'm a missionary I raise support like a missionary how am I supposed to go buy a car and so he's like well I don't know you can take it to pick and pull and you know see how much I call them 1100 I was like man that's not enough to do anything and so lo and behold I was like I was like Tiff I don't know what to do we start praying and then I have some family members call hey Josh we want to help you get your car fixed because we understand that your car is part of your ministry. Okay, okay. A buddy of mine calls me up and says, hey, I found a used engine, $3,000. I was like, okay, um, let's see if we can do that, and, and, and uh, plus an extra amount for parts of labor. And I'm like, I can't afford that. And I'm still like, okay, Lord, okay, how are we going to do this? Family calls up, hey, a few different family members, we have $2,000. Take this and put it in your car. It's like, okay, All right? I have the parts and labor covered, but how do I get the engine? And a buddy of mine's like, hey, guess what? Uh, don't worry about the engine. I'll pay for it. So I got a brand new car. I mean, it's not a brand new car, but new engine in my car that runs, runs better than it did a week ago. And that's living abundantly, Do I, did I have the money? No, not per se, but it's God who works things out for the good of those who love him and he provided. You might be saying, well, Josh, that sounds really good. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. God is not a respecter of men. So many times we hear the man or woman of God. We're like, wow, that's really good. They must be blessed. Guess what? If it happened for us, it can happen for you. There's just a difference. We know how to tap in. And it's not necessarily we know how to tap in. It's just we believe by faith that if we can tap into it, God will do it. Jesus said, I am the, uh, uh, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. The enemy has three motives. He's to steal. That is to take every good thing God has for you, the enemy wants to steal it from you. He wants to kill. He wants to kill you and destroy you physically and mentally. I've heard so many people, oh, man, you know, I've been in different countries and and different parts of San Antonio. I've just been around. And I hear so many people, oh, man, it's going to be a party in hell. I'm like, man, then you can party without me. Uh Well, this is this. And and I, I hear all these excuses of why the enemy loves them or does this. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. This is what you're missing. It looks nice on the front end but when you go inside the shop there's nothing but death and destruction and you have been lied to by the enemy because he hates your gut the enemy wants to kill you physically and kill and destroy you mentally he wants to destroy you and that's banish from you from the presence of God eternity or eternally that doesn't sound fun That doesn't sound like someone who has your best interest in mind. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Leviticus chapter 16. I think I have the, well, Jaden's over there. I think I have it on the uh, screens too for those who forgot their word. I'll just put you that way. And so what makes what Jesus did so powerful what makes the blood so powerful? What made, what made Jesus uh, uh, on the cross, what he accomplished so amazing, so powerful? You're about to see why right here. Leviticus chapter 16, I'm, I'm reading out of the ESV. And this is what it says, and I'll, I'll read a little bit. But what this is, it's the day of atonement. And what the Day of Atonement was is is once a year, the priest of Israel, Aaron, would come before and he would atone for the sins of the congregation. And so every year you had to do this and, okay, let me come in. And he had to cleanse himself and do all these rituals and things. And this is what happened. It says, the Lord, in verse 1, says, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons, the two sons of Aaron. When they drew near before the Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way, Aaron shall come to the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have a linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put, put them on and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for the burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one, one of the lot for the Lord and the other lot for Ezael. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell to the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which it fell on Azaleel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that may be sent away into the wilderness. Now, let me skip down to verse 19. And it says, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. You see, so you have this this picture and these, what the priests, the Levitical priests are supposed to do at the day of atonement. He would have to kill, a, you know, make a burnt sacrifice for him and his family. So he's clean. He has to wear certain garments to go into the holy of holies. And then he would, he would uh, make atonement for the people. He would have a goat. One would be burnt for God. The other one would take on the sins. A representation of Jesus would take the sins of the congregation and send them out into the wilderness. That seems like a lot of work to do. But I think what it was really key here is that it says that the blood that was, that was spilled, Aaron would have to sprinkle with his fingers seven times. You see the in, incense, well actually it says, we must have the blood for the atonement of sin. In Isaiah 53, 12 it says, Jesus poured out his soul or his blood this is what it says, it says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony you see, this resurrection Sunday, his blood that was shed on the cross is a source of power. It's the source of freedom. It's the source of salvation. What's wrong, Arabella? She's like, I just saw you yesterday. First Peter 1, 9, 1 18 and 19 says this knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways. Inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I'm going somewhere with this. You see, the Old Testament had a scapegoat. You ever heard the word? Oh, man, they're just a scapegoat. That's where it comes from. Jesus was the divine scapegoat. He took on all the sins of the world and he put it on himself. Now, unlike the scapegoat who went into the wild and we never saw again, Jesus took on all the sin, all the shame, every transgression that you ever thought, thought of doing, did. He took it on and became the sacrificial lamb. So, no longer on the Day of Atonement, once a year, we have to come together and and burn and do. Jesus said, I'm going to do it once and it will stand forever. But there was something specific God had to do. You see, God is a God of order. And so, as it says that, that Aaron would sprinkle the mercy seat seven times, Jesus bled seven times. It's not a coincidence. Number one, the first place. You have the Garden of Gethsemane. That is Jesus won back our willpower. You see, Eve sinned when she was deceived by the serpent. She gave also unto her husband and he ate, according to Genesis 3, 6. You see, Eve was deceived, but Adam chose to sin. Mess up some theology there. Eve was deceived, but Adam chose to sin. Eve listened to the serpent. She listened to the evil one. And, the, and this is how the devil operates. He wants to attack your identity. Their identity was caught up in Jesus. Everything is good. God said, ah, at the, at the seventh day of creation, he said, ah, everything is good. Everything is perfect. And the enemy wanted to attack Eve's identity. Oh, you're not as good as God. That's why he's keeping that tree from you, the knowledge of good and evil. You, he doesn't want you to become like him. They were already made perfect. So many times as believers, we allow the enemy to attack our identity. I mean, I can, we can, you can just watch TV and watch the news and see that the enemy's attacking identity. There is such a generation who is sexually confused and cannot figure out their identity. They don't know if they're male, they don't know if they're female, they don't know if they're a cat, a dog. Identity, the enemy attacks your identity and if he can get you to, wait a minute, let me think about that, he got you. Eve was deceived, but Adam chose to sin. Because he rejected the will of the Father. Therefore, as he rejected the will of the Father, it allowed sin into, and now, ever since that day, man has struggled with his willpower over his flesh. And when I mean man, I'm talking man and woman. We have struggled with our own willpower. Adam couldn't do it in the garden, and because of that, the enemy, has uh, the, the sin was allowed to, to come in, and we have struggled with willpower. Don't believe me? I'm not, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers or anything like that here in my heart, but I guarantee there's people in here today, there's people watching who struggle with pornography and cannot stop, or they're struggling with, Uh, 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 drugs or alcohol and they can't, our willpower. But beloved, Jesus took back our willpower. We are no longer subject to the well of our flesh or to sinful desires. Jesus overcame the great temptation that it was so intense that it caused him to sweat blood. There's a medical term for this. I am not an MD, so forgive me of my pronunciation. It's hemotitorosis, Hemotidrosis. If you know what it is, say it out loud, because I'm like, I think, did I get it right somewhat? <laughs> hemotitorosis, something like that. But what it is, is an extremely rare, rare condition in which you sweat blood. It is so rare that many people don't know it exists or it's even real. But sweating blood has been seen throughout history. This is a, an article I read in a, in a health journal. The Bible mentions Jesus sweating blood while praying before the crucifixion. Leonardo uh, da Vinci wrote about soldiers sweating blood before battle. There isn't much information available on this because it is so rare. It isn't clearly understood by the medical field. However, this generally happens when a person feels intense fear or intense stress. Someone facing death may have this kind of fear or stress. For example, when you are under stress, your body goes into a flight or fight mode. Jesus was under so much stress. He was praying in Matthew 26, nine. He said, oh, my father, is it possible? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Jesus conquered our willpower. So now we can say no to pornography, we can say no to drugs, we can say no to alcohol or the temptations of this world or the temptations of the lust of this flesh. We can say no as believers. Now, if you're in the world, good luck with that, buddy. But as believers, this is the covenant that we have with Jesus because of his blood. Luke 22, 43 through 46 says this, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him and being with agony, he prayed even more earnestly. Then the sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. He said, Father, not my will, not my will. Jesus said, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He 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 was like, "Let it pass for me." He knew what was about to happen, but he said, "Father, I'm going to be obedient to you, not my will but your will." There's so many times as believers, the Lord tells you to do something, and you're like, "Well, forget your will; it's my will. I don't. I don't, I want to. I, I want to marry this person. I want to watch this show. I want to spend my money on this." I don't wanna go there. It's my will, Father, not your will. But Jesus in the garden conquered that. So now we can say not my will, but your will. The second place that Jesus bled is the stripes or wounds on his back. Jesus won back our health. The scourge, they scourged Jesus, filleting his flesh until there was little left on him. The meat and the tissue of his back was so destroyed, you can literally see the bones and his internal organs. He was beaten so so mercilessly. The Bible says he was actually beaten beyond recognition in Isaiah 52, 14. Through the shedding of his blood at the whipping post, Jesus purchased our healing. His body was bruised, beaten, and broken so that ours could be made whole. Because of what he experienced there on the cross or at the whipping post, we no longer had to be bound by sickness. People were like, hey, Josh, who's your insurance? My insurance is Jesus. That's all I got. I so I can't afford any of this. I can't afford Obamacare. I get sick. I got to pray. <laughs> Beloved, when sickness comes knocking at your door, we can experience a touch of his resurrection power. There's so many times that I just remember getting sick or feeling whatever and I'm just like, "I I I have nothing. I can't go to the doctor, can't do this. Jesus, you have to heal me. I got nothing, I got nothing. You have got to heal me and boom. My wife has polycystic kidney disease. And I remember the doctor, um, and a lot of folks know this story. I remember going to a doctor? We, we, she had um, some medical coverage. We kept going to doctor after doctor after doctor. Finally, they figured out what was going on. They said, oh, hey, guess what? You have 10 years to live. Wow, 10 years? That doesn't sound fun. Well, we don't really know what's going on. Your, your, your kidneys are... Con- continue to blow up. They have cysts all over them. There's nothing we can do. Oh, but there is a pill that will slow it down. Oh, really cool? Yeah, but it'll cause you to go blind in a couple years. What kind kind of diagnosis is that? Oh, yeah, by the way, it's not legal in Texas, but I can't tell you what to do. But if you need to cross state lines to go get some stuff, some herbal stuff, Please go ahead and, you know, you might want to look at that. What kind of diagnosis is that? That's all you got for me in Western medicine is good luck, bro? That's it? Sorry, bro. That's all you got. And so I remember being, Tiff finally was just like, I've had it. I'm done. I don't want to go to doctors anymore. Let's, let's just be done with it. And I said, okay. And so we started praying and, and contending. And we were at church one service, and uh, we had this, this, uh, some friends of ours. They were leading our worship. And one of them came up and said, hey, I had a word from the Lord. The Lord is sending you an angel and his name is Lab. We were like, okay, cool. God has a very funny sense of humor. He is sending an angel named Lab and anytime you have labs done, your labs are gonna look perfect. We're like, okay, cool. So we started going, you know, pain. she would get her pains or whatnot. There would be times where she'd be in so much pain where she's vomiting. We have to go to the ER. And we would go to the ER and whatnot. They would run all the, tech, all the tests, all the diagnosis, and they're like, ma'am, you're crazy. There's nothing wrong with your lab. I'm like, okay. She still has the cyst and stuff. We're like, okay, God, all right, all right, all right. We got half of it done. The doctors think we're crazy. We're going into doctor, into doctor. Your labs are fine. Your labs are fine. We don't know what you're talking about. But there's still a physical manifestation. And so finally, we go into her her kidney GFR. Her kidney function goes down to almost, I believe it was like 69 or or, or 50-something. It was was one point before stage two kidney failure. And we find a, a, uh, we get to be a guinea pig for a medical science study. And I was like, okay, cool, free health care. You'll get paid to do it. Hey, let's go for it. And so we enter it and they do all the tests and they're like, okay, ma'am, you're 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 pre-qualified, you're good, your kidneys are shot. You know, we had uh, speaking of shot, this is this is our wonderful medical field. I had one doctor, <laughs> he pretty much told us, yeah, I see that your, your your kidneys are bad, but they're not in stage three or stage four. We won't do nothing until they're that bad. And I'm like, what? Can not we stop it from getting there? No, we're not going to stop it. No, we're just going to wait till it gets to kidney four, stage failure, and you're on dial- dialysis. Then we'll do something. Okay. Anyway, so back to this, um, th- this guinea pig study that we're doing. So we start doing this. We go for our first set of labs, and we start praying. And we went to a, another church service, and, and someone prayed over us and gave us a word. The Lord is healing your body. Now let me tell you, polycystic kidney disease isn't like something you can live with. Most people die from it. If you don't get it, depending on what what level you get it, it's it's, it's chronic. And so we get prayed for, they said, you know, you're healed, and we're like, awesome. A Couple weeks ago, we're getting ready to go back into this medical evaluation, we get a phone call. Um, Ma'am. You have been disqualified from this study. We did your labs, and for whatever reason, your labs are no longer stage Q, but they're at the top of the chart as a healthy kidney. Only God can do that. As a husband sitting and watching his wife throw up, literally being so much pain that she has to crawl on the floor, not being able to sing, not being able to to take care of kids, my heart was broken, and it's like, Jesus, I have nothing. I don't have money to do. I don't have interest. I don't know how to take care of this. Only you can. And so I'm putting a demand on your anointing because your word says that by your stripes, my wife is healed. I'm going to contend, and here we go. The rest is history. Beloved, I don't know what, is going on in your body, you might have a a sickness, an ailment, an issue. I don't care what it is. It can be bipolar, schizophrenic. I don't really, I I don't care. Jesus took care of it on the cross and today you can be healed. Josh, what does it come back? Then you keep contending. Sometimes it's boom, instantaneous healing. Other times it's as you go. Look at the leopards. The Bible says, as they went, they were healed. Others were, boom, right then and there. Yes, this was a long story. Did it happen like this? No, we contended for healing for months, almost a few years. 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. Whose stripes you are healed. Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Hallelujah. So number two, the stripes and the wounds on his back. Second place he bled. The third place is the crown of thorns, and that's Jesus won back our prosperity. Now, when you say prosperity, people are right there, all the religious folk, <gasps> oh, great, we're gonna, Josh is going to do a tithing message now. That's not the prosperity I'm talking about. Thorns and thistles were the result of the curse of the original sin. After Adam and Eve had sinned, they were told, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will grow. Thorns and thistles weren't a product of Genesis one. It wasn't a product of the original uh, uh, intent of the kingdom. It is a byproduct of sin. It also, we also see it as Jesus. This is how I see it. I see it also because it's a crown of thorns. I also see it as Jesus bringing back to our place in the kingdom. As kings, as sons, as daughters, as priests, because the Bible says that we are co heirs and co rulers with Jesus. Adam gave over his authority to Satan. Jesus won it back. And so now we get our place back in the kingdom. You see, Jesus bore the crown of thorns, blood gushing from his brow. He bore the curse of the thorns, poverty on his behalf. Jesus came to reverse the curse of poverty. We are not supposed to be a poverty driven people. And I'm not just talking uh, in finances. It can be poverty in health. It can be poverty in spirit. We are not supposed to live impoverished lives. God has come to give us life and life more abundantly. Genesis 3, 17, the curse of poverty that came upon mankind because of Adam's sin. In John 19, 2, it says, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, yet for your sakes he became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. Hallelujah. He took poverty. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't make ourselves impoverished. Well, Josh, I I got my car repossessed and I lived here and this and this and that. Let me tell you this, bro. That wasn't Jesus. That was you. You went and bought a Maserati at a Burger King salary. Jesus didn't tell you to go do that. I've been in this game for a long time, okay? <laughs> we work in, uh, you know, we, when we do our stuff in Kaseyana, I think it's really funny. And, and the Lord's been really dealing with us to really talk about kingdom finances. And I love our people in, in our community that we minister to. But every time, you know, income tax comes. I, know, I always know when people start getting their income tax. Because then you start seeing cons or in a center and, you know, all you know, flexing all these. People, people moving in TVs. And I'm like, Okay. And I tell Tim, say, hey, watch, 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 give it, give it a couple months. A couple months later, here comes the repo man taking TVs out. And I'm just like, I'm like, guys, you, you live in this little, tiny, this little tiny apartment and you want a 90-inch 90, 90 flat screen TV. Come on, people. Well, that's what we want. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. But so many times in the kingdom of God, we think, we live, we impoverish ourselves, and then we get mad at Jesus. I thought you come to give me life and life more abundantly. Where's all my riches? Where's all this, that, and the other? And Jesus said, I did take care of it on the cross. You, are the one that's acting stupid. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say that, but that's my paraphrase. <laughs> he might say it to me sometimes. <laughs> But so many times we do stuff that Jesus didn't call call us to do and then we become impoverished. When we sin, we become impoverished and then we get mad at Jesus. Why am I stuck? Why do I feel lonely? I had an affair and now my wife left me. I'm lonely. I'm impoverished. I didn't tell you to go do that. I told you to guard your eye gates. I told you to guard your life, to guard your purity. Number three, the crown of thorns, Jesus won back our prosperity. Number four, the the fourth place is the pierced hands. Jesus won back our dominion or our authority over everything we touch. Power and authority has been restored. Mark 16, 18 says, they shall take up serpents, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Serpents and scorpions represent the the devil and his demonic entities. We no longer need to be afraid of the the demonic forces that are sent against us because Jesus was, his hands were pierced, shedding of his blood so that we can have power and authority over all the works of the enemy. Like Apostle Paul, we need to only fling them off when they attack us. Oh man, I can't believe this. Ah, just shake it off. Ah, it got me again. Ah, shake it off. But so many times we get bit by the snake and we're like, "Ah, I'm dying. It's over. It's over. Jesus, I'm coming to see you soon. And Jesus like, no, I've given you power over that. Why are you allowing that little snake to destroy your family? Why are you allowing that snake to destroy your marriage, to destroy your health? I've given you the power to shake it off. It's that Bible, it's that, it's that verse in the New Testament, the enemy comes like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. It doesn't say he is a roaring lion, it said like one. We look at the enemy like, ah, it's a lion. And we give him the power and then we wonder why we get our teeth kicked in. But when we look at the enemy knowing who we are in Christ, oh, look at that little kitty cat. We got people, I don't like cats anyways. I'm a dog lover. He has given us the authority. Authority is given to us to lay hands on the sick and to see them recover as a sign that he is with us and as an attention getter to the gospel. Signs or wonders aren't for you. It's because they point to Jesus. They're a sign to Jesus. When doing so, we are applying by the laying of hands, his blood that was shed at the whipping post for our complete healing, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual healing. Number four, that Jesus is the nailing of the hands. The power and authority of divine impartation. Part of the part of Jesus being nailed through the hands is the power and the authority of divine impartation. Impartation has to do with giving and receiving of spiritual gifts, blessings, healings, baptism in the Holy Spirit, etc., for the work of the ministry. It is the transference of these gifts from one man or woman to, through the laying of hands. We get to be agents of change. You see, these gifts, the power, the authority isn't for us so that we can just, you know, go bonkers with it and and make, you know, oh, hey, look at me, you know. It's so that we can empower and equip. I know what I carry. I love praying for people I haven't done in a while here because the Lord's like, I don't want you laying hands on anybody right now. I want people to come to me, not to the man or woman of God. So many times we're like, oh, I just got to have the man or woman of God touch me. I've been there, so I'm I'm not, like, accusing anybody. I've been there. You know, it's like, who needs prayer for healing? And you run up there, and then, like, their armor bearer or, like, someone on their interns, you're like, don't touch me, man. You're not not that powerful yet. (laughs) Come on, let's be real. Let's be real. I've I've been there. You know, I'm like, who's this guy? He's just an intern. He's younger than me. (laughs) I'm just being real. Genesis, Genesis 39.3, God says, everything we put our hands, he will cause us to prosper. Genesis 1.26-28, God made man to be just like him and to give man authority and dominion over all the earth. Mark 16.18, after Jesus died and rose from the dead before ascending to, to heaven, he tells Believers of the authority that has been returned to them through the shedding of his blood at the cross. He says, in my name, they will take up serpents. They will drink anything deadly and by no means it will hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Tidbit on this one. It says, if they drink anything deadly, it by by no means will hurt them. Don't go home today and go drink bleach. You guys laugh. I got carded yesterday, I went to Walmart, to go buy some windshield wiper fluid for my car. Sir, can I see an ID? I said, for what? This is a windshield wiper fluid. Look, it's Rain-X, it, kills, it gets bug juice off of my car. I don't know, there's just something in, in here that people are drinking now. She's like, oh yeah, also, I've already carded three people for Tilex. I was like, the tile and mold cleaner? Yep. <laughs> so we read this scripture and we're like, hey, I could drink, it's COVID. Let me drink some bleach and, and make, you know, I'm clean myself out. It doesn't happen. That means when you're on the mission field and somebody poisons you, you're good. You'll be all right. My wife's uncle, he was, a, he, he was a missionary and he went to somewhere in Indochina and he was at a place and they poisoned him. He was preaching the gospel and they poisoned him but he's a-okay. That's what that scripture means. Beloved, sometimes we can read the scriptures and we can take it a little too far. I guarantee you, when I go to the zoo, I'm not jumping in the pit of vipers. Hey, guess what? Jesus said I'm healed. Come on, buddies, bite me. The next week, you'll be having my funeral service. Josh was a stupid one. Okay, I'm gonna get off that tidbit. (laughs) You guys laugh, Okay. Number 5, the fifth place, the pierced feet. Jesus won back dominion and authority over the places that we walk. Mark 15:23. Ooh, lost my place. Mark 15:24. They had crucified him. They nailed his feet and hands to the cross. Psalms 22:16. 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. This signifies Jesus restoring our dominion that was lost through the fall. Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea, over all the birds in the air, over all the cattle, over all of the earth, and over every creepy thing that is on the earth. Hebrews 2 it says, Thou hast put all things in subjugation under his feet, for in that he put in all subjugation under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things are put under him. Dominion was given to us and has been officially restored to us. But now... But now we see not yet all things are put under him. It has been restored by the blood of Jesus. It's up to us to appropriate the dominion that he has restored to us. Let me read that again because this correlates to the Old Testament. It is up to us to appropriate the dominion that has been restored to us. Yes, we have the dominion over everything. It is up to us to go. It's like the children of Israel when they went up to the land of Canaan and they were spying out the land, God gave them the dominion, they had to go and execute the dominion. So many times as believers, we understand in our head our dominion, but we don't walk in our dominion. We need to go out and walk in our dominion that God has given us. Yes, God can slay every giant in your life. Yes, he can do that. But what would we learn? He said, I've given you the tools, I've given you the dominion, now you go and conquer that giant. Setting your feet on something denotes placing your foot upon something and staking your claim. Where to stake claim with faith and aggressive determination on everything God has promised us. I don't care if that's your spouse. I don't care if that's your family. I don't care if that's your marriage, your health. We, with faith and aggressive determination, we, we, we say we are not being moved. I want, you know, when I was a, when I was a single, single young man, I knew the, the, the woman of God I wanted. I wanted someone who loved Jesus more than me. That's, that, that's okay. Because I knew if she loved Jesus more than me, then she would love me properly. And I remember the first time I, well, I, I, I met my wife at 14. We were at this camp and um, I moved back. We kind of liked each other. Yeah, we liked each other for a couple years. And I moved back to San Antonio. She went to Bible college there. And I remember in my heart, I knew what the Lord placed in my heart for a spouse. And I was like, I want a woman that's going to worship you and doesn't care whether I'm there or not. And I remember going back to the, uh, we, we started reconnecting again after a few years of not talking. And we were at a church service and she was lifting her hands. And I say this and I quote, I looked at her, I said, ooh, that's sexy. Why? Because she didn't care that I was there. She was so lost in worship to Jesus. And I was like, oh yeah, I found my wife. Proverbs 31, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, doesn't mean you need to go on Tinder or anything like that to go find a wife. Anyway, that's, I'll stop there. But what I'm saying is that we have dominion and we have to be aggressive about that. And so when I, when I met my wife, we got married, there's so many things vying for my attention, trying to get me off and, and, and to move my marriage in this direction or that. I have to be aggressive on that God has given me a wife and that if I love her properly, that my marriage would be abundant. But so many times we let the small foxes infiltrate our marriage. You know, you got that, you're at the beach and you got the, you got, you got sister Fufu walking with the little G string, the dental floss. We are called to be a people who don't, we, we, as men, we have eyes for our spouse only. We have to stake our claim on our marriage. We have to stake our claim on our health, on our finances, on our children. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four: 24, every place whereupon your sole of your feet shall tread upon shall be yours. In Joshua, it says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that I have given unto you as I said unto Moses, there shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of their life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. The word place in Joshua uh, 1.3 is topos. It's the same word used in Ephesians 4.27, which says "Neither neither give place to the devil. It is the same word where we get topographic, which is used of a region or locality or room in which a person or thing occupies, not topography. Topograph. Topograph. There we go. Topograph. I went to public school. Let's take our claim and take our land, our God, that God has sent us. Psalms 91, 13, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample underfoot. Luke 10, 18 and 19. And he said it to them. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you the power, the authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Romans six twenty, the God of this place shall bruise Satan under your feet. The fifth place is at the pierced feet. The sixth place is the pierced heart or the side. And this is Jesus won back our joy. John 19, 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Blood and water gushing from Jesus' side represents a broken heart. A broken heart is the fact, the fact that blood and water flowed from his side symbolizes that Jesus' heart was broken. This intensity and anguish of the weight and the burden of all of our sins that he took upon himself on our behalf It crushed him. Isaiah 53, three talks about this. This is like his inner bruising was to bring inner healing to our lives. And out of the corresponding or out of the byproduct of him taking on all this is that we may have joy. This also, the blood and water also represents the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Water in scripture is a type of the Holy Spirit. When water gushed from Jesus' side, it released the potential for the fullness of his spirit to be be released in the church, his followers, and the world in which we live without measure. As a result of his bleeding, we too can receive the Holy Spirit without measure. It's available to all who apply the blood and water that flowed from his side. It lets us stake claim to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that's in me is the same Holy Spirit that's in my seven-year-old. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no uh, uh, provisional Holy Spirit. Okay, Laura, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit, but you get a provisional one. He only does some of the stuff. And if you are good in all your stuff, then we'll give you the full-blown Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's not how he works. John 3:34 For he who God has sent spoke the word of God, for God give not the spirit by measure unto him. Let's beseech the Lord to release his spirit without measure upon us, upon the church, and for those we are praying for. The last one The seventh place Jesus bled is his inside, being bruised. And that's Jesus won our deliverance. (laughs) Inner hurts and iniquities, immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Isaiah 53, five, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. Bruising is the blood or bleeding under the skin due to trauma of any kind. Typically black and blue at first, but color changes as the healing process progresses. A bruise rising in the skin is revealing an inward bleeding. Inac- in, 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 how did I write this down? The bleeding can be applied or the bruising can bleed applied to those in things that beat us down. How many have been beaten down by stuff? I know I'm not the only one. There's days I just been beaten by life and I'm just like, oh Lord Jesus. Oh Jesus, there's lies, there's accusations, there's just finances, there's all this, this stress, this this stuff going on. Many have been beaten down by the things of life, experiencing inward bruising and trauma. A few months ago, in, uh, down in Casiano, we were at a church service, and I get a call. I'm like, hey, um, someone calls me and says, hey, you need to get down here. Uh, there's, a, there's a fight that happened. You probably saw it on the news. There's a fight that happened. Uh, a mom ran over another mom and drug her body up and down the street. And, I mean, it, it's pandemonium down here. So me and my wife and me kids, we, we drive down and couldn't even get to our building or, and where we minister at because the police had the, everything taped off and stuff. We go back the next that, uh, a day later and the kids and the things that people saw of seeing a body drug up and down the street, it brought trauma. I, I, I was talking to this one, this, this, this good friend of mine, I love him. We've been ministering to him and his family for years. And him and his girlfriend, they're like, we have not slept in two days. Because every time I close my eyes, I see what was going on. The husband or the boyfriend was like, I was down with a bunch of other men. We were trying to lift the car off this young lady. And they, they, they were so traumatized. Young kids heard screams. There's this little boy, um, and the night that we went, actually uh, uh, Apostle Irma was with us and, and Pastor Frank. We were there and this little girl's her ninth birthday. And, the, and her little brother was there and he heard everything, saw everything. It was happened right in front of their house and he was just traumatized. He's like, I just can't sleep. And he was just weeping and crying. And guess what? Good old Apostle Irma. Hey, it's your birthday. Would you like to know Jesus? And that young girl came to know Jesus. We prayed for her, her brother and it's literally like a light switch went off. The trauma left and they experienced freedom from the sights, the sounds that they heard. For some, it might be situations and circumstances of life. For, uh, for others, it may be things that have been spoken over us, negatively beating us down and causing us to experience inward. You're not good enough. You're, you're just a, a woman. You don't have an education you're not anointed enough. You're not this, that, or the other. It's these negative beating us down and causing us to experience inward bruising of the soul and the spirit. Still others, it could be things of our own making that have caused us bruising, bruising emotionally, mentally, or in our spirit. Jesus was beat and bruised for our iniquities. He bled and was bruised inwardly, taking everything upon himself in order that we may be healed completely and forever. It doesn't matter the word curses that were spoken over your life. Trust me, I've heard many word curses from doctors spoken over my wife. You won't live this long, this, this, that, and the other. You might have heard stuff from your parents. Oh, you're just like your father. You're just like your mother. Jesus died on the cross. He was bruised and beaten so that you can be completely whole from that. I know so many young kids that I've ministered to who are emotionally damaged from trauma from abusive parents or abusive coaches or people in authority or this or that. And it's like, Jesus came to set you free. Have you ever seen a person who was bound by emotional damage and when Jesus, when Jesus touches them, maybe you ever watched them really like, woo! it's an amazing sight. I, I, I cry every time. Psalms 51, 17, the sacrifices of God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. With his healing, peace and joy are released to us mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I leave you with this. I was talking to a pastor the other day and we're talking about Resurrection Sunday and the cross and he said this and Roger, do you mind coming up and playing for a second? We're gonna get ready to take communion together. Lord, do you mind, they're right here, do you mind passing those out? And this is what he said, made me really think. He said, what are the spoils of the cross? I sit here and I was like, okay, are you gonna tell me? He's like, no. When you're in war and the The prevailing army, when they win, they get the spoils of victory. What are, on this Resurrection Sunday, what are the spoils of the cross in your life? Jesus took care of everything, but we leave so much at the cross. There's so much spoils that Jesus won on Calvary, but we have left so much. And it really just started, I mean, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me, and I'm like, you're right. We do leave a lot. Jesus won this, he won that, he won all these things, and we still live impoverished, we still live sick, we still lived, you know, uh, with, with, the, with not enough authority, we still live in lack when Jesus took it all. So Jesus was the last sacrifice, the last day of atonement. He bled seven times on the mercy seat. And everything that Jesus did on the cross, it checked off every single box for atonement. And God said, great, everything's been checked. Jesus did it once and for all. You no longer have to continue to sacrifice and do. It is finished. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because he took care of everything on the cross. We don't longer have to, well, did he or did? No, he did it all. The Bible says that He, when he ascended, and it talks about he made a spectacle, a spectacle over the enemy. If you know uh, uh, history, What armies would do when they conquer a city and they conquer a king, they would take the king and they would tie him up behind a chariot or a cart or whatever, and they would drag the losing king, mayor, whatever, uh, president, they would drag him behind them in a spectacle. And that's what Jesus did to the enemy. He made a spectacle of the enemy. So as we take communion today, I want you to take a few moments to examine and and you might, you know, if if you need to get your heart right with Jesus, this might be the time to do it. I'll just do it tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it next week. You may not have next week. If there's anything that you need to come and make clean before Jesus, judging yourselves, least we be judged. As Roger plays, if you need to ask for forgiveness for someone, I talked on forgiveness a couple weeks ago, there's three people that you should forgive. It could be other people, somebody offended you, somebody did something to you and you forgive them. It could be yourself, we can be our own worst critic. I counsel many people where we're praying and we're just not seeing freedom. And I have to, the Holy Spirit, you know, ask them, do they forgive themselves? Hey, did you forgive yourself? And they're like, no. I still blame myself for what happened. They forgive themselves and boom, freedom. And the third one could be God. God didn't come when I needed him. God didn't, he did it, blah, 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 whatever. So I don't know where you're at but I wanna give you a few moments as Roger plays to examine yourself, if there's forgiveness, even if there's someone in this room. I I challenge you to be bold and to walk up to someone and be like, hey, look, you may not know it, but you said something and it offended me. I ask that you forgive me. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Many times we ask for forgiveness or we think, you know, someone offended us. They don't even know they offended you. They're just kind of going on with life, hunky-dory, and you're all bitter and upset and mad. You could just be asking Jesus, Lord, I've taken the will. It's been my, I've taken the will. I'm driving the car now, or it's my will, Lord, not your will. I'm gonna give my will, my wants, desires over for you, over back to you, put you back on the throne of my life take a few moments and and to examine yourselves